0: You're listening to The Locals on FreeFM 89.0. called Tainanturong toko ingoa. A lot has been said about the mental health system, including by myself. And while there are clear issues and flaws, a lot of them serious, change is afoot. In 2018, He Ara Oranga was published, which after a nationwide effort laid out the challenges and opportunities that can come from a reform system. One of them was the establishment of a mental health and well-being commission. So to understand more, I caught up with the new CEO of that commission to hear about the reforms taking place and where to next for the commission. So let's crack into it. This is The Locals and this is Karen Osborne. Sure, Karen. It's great to have you on the show. But Bef- before we crack into the questions, uh, I know you became the uh, CEO about five weeks ago. Uh, congratulations, by the way. But can you tell me how did you get to this point? A bit about yourself,
1: mm, Kira Dan, and thank you for having me on your on your show today. So, just a little bit about my background. So, i um. um Started my working life as a registered nurse um, quite a long time ago and worked a lot in emergency departments and then moved into um, sort of health management roles. So I worked for quite a long time in Hooks in Hooks Bay, um, and both in that sort of clinical role, but also um, in health sort of uh, management roles. And then moved um to Wellington where I worked for the Ministry of Health for a while and then I've spent the last nine years working for the Health Quality and Safety Commission so that was a new entity set up about 10 10 or so years ago with a focus on improving the quality and safety of health and disability services so I was there for um as I said quite a period of time and in the latter years I had um, become quite involved in the National Mental Health and Addiction Improvement Programme, the Quality Improvement Programme, which had some specific areas of focus, such as reducing seclusion rates for people um, receiving services um, and some other areas as well. And that really um, prompted me to become more involved in this work. And when the opportunity arose to support the work of the initial Mental Health and Wellbeing Commission, I thought that as a great opportunity to take what I'd learnt around mental health and addiction services and issues for people with lived experience in communities, because that was a big part of the work of the Health Quality and Safety Commission was to um, engage with people who use services. And so bring that experience along with that experience of setting up a new entity into, into this work. So I led the initial commission work last year and then was acting CE from February when the permanent commission. Started and now appointed permanently as chief executive. So it's very exciting to be part of this work.
0: Can you give us a bit of an idea about what the role of the commission and the staff is?
1: So the the commission was recommended through um, Ha'ara Oranga, so the report of the government inquiry into mental health and addiction services. So the inquiry panel saw the commission as the missing piece of the puzzle in the system. So the commission has a role of um, having an overview of the system. So it's not part of the system. It's, it has that overview. And it's there to really keep pressure on government but also on the system to, to challenge it, to see how it can improve. So we have a quite a specific monitoring role. So that's monitoring mental health and wellbeing services, but mental health and addiction services as well, but also the broader contributions to wellbeing, such as housing and education and employment. So there's a monitoring role. There's also a really important role to advocate for the collective interests of people. So those are the people who use services and their whānau and families. It's also of a range of population groups that were again highlighted by the inquiry panel and also now form part of the legislation that has set up the Mental Health and Wellbeing Commission. So those are groups um, such as Māori, uh, Pacific people, rainbow communities, people with disabilities, uh, rural communities feature as well. So there's a a group of populations that uh, have a disproportionate burden in terms of distress. And so our role is to really work with those communities, to engage understand what the issues and concerns are, and then advocate for their collective interests to make changes to improve the system and improve services.
0: The current commission has been going for about six months now. How have things been going in that time?
1: Our initial focus has been on setting up the organisation. So you can imagine it's a brand new organisation. So we don't have the systems and the staff uh, obviously. So our focus has been on getting those things in place. We've also carried forward the work of the Initial Commission. So as I mentioned earlier, the Initial Commission started the work of the Permanent Commission. So one of the pieces of work from last year was the development of a monitoring framework. So we've carried that work forward. We've also been spending quite a bit of time engaging with people in communities. So as I mentioned, those communities and those populations that We really um, need to advocate for so people with lived experience as well and and whānau we've been engaging with those so for rural communities um, there has been engagement with federated farmers um, the rural health network so in each of those groups really saying who are the people we need to engage with and starting that that engagement and hearing what their concerns are and issues are so we're very much in that engagement establishment sort of phase and what we're doing at the moment is developing our longer-term strategy. So we are not picking up anything particularly new right now because we said before we start diving into things, we really need to say where do we want to be and what are the most important issues for us to work on and and do that thinking up front so that we get it right. So that's that's what we're doing at the moment.
0: And has it been difficult to form a commission when you're, hiring and doing IT systems and all that sort of stuff, at the same time there's a whole heap of need pressing down on you and the team? Um,
1: there, are, There is a lot of need and there's a lot of um, people that have told us that they're not seeing the changes that they would have liked to have seen by now. So that was some of the work of that initial commission. So we've been fortunate that we can build on that work. Uh, but it, it, there's always that tension between... Um, setting up something new and laying those platforms for the longer term whilst also dealing with the here and now. So we were fortunate that we could pick up the work of the initial commission last year and carry forward some of that work and plan to to really focus on some key areas. So one of the areas that we are focused on is that monitoring of mental health and addiction services, So we've picked up the role of monitoring mental health and addiction services from the previous mental health commissioner. Um, So Kevin Allen, his role finished just before the commission started. So we've taken over that role and we'll be reporting to the mental health and addiction service framework later this year. We have also decided to have a um, a particular focus on the Access and Choice program. So, we're doing some work to assess how that, that program is progressing.
0: Ha'ara Oranga was compiled and published about three, four years ago now. How do you feel about the state of the mental health sector since?
1: So, Ha'ara Oranga uh, really gathered the voices of the people and and communities and people told some very powerful stories about how the system wasn't working for them and, and their loved ones and, and people using the services. So, um, Since that time, the government responded to Ha'ara Oranga and identified some areas that they wanted to focus on first. So they have got started with those, and one of them was the Establishment of the Mental Health and Wellbeing Commission. So there has been some good progress. There was also considerable investment in new and different services, but also we have had COVID. So COVID-19 came last year, Beginning of last year, and that's also had a massive impact on on all of us, and as we're seeing, you know, continue to have significant um, impact on our neighbours across across the ocean. So it, it, COVID's still with us, and it has impacted people quite differently. And I know that for rural communities, um, some of the you know the workforce coming into rural communities um, and, and you know multitude of other issues is is having that impact. So this is a a complex environment that we're working on it's dynamic there's lots of changes so we're seeing some progress in some areas In other areas the world has changed but also progress hasn't been necessarily what people have expected to see so it's 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 a mixed picture in terms of um, where we are now and perhaps where we expected we would be
0: there seem to have been some good steps forward, as as you say, and increased funding and and so on. But at the same time, you've got the minister of health. Uh, what what did he say? Uh, he was uh, deeply frustrated uh, at an apparent underspend for mental health facilities. How do you, and the commission, reconcile those those two big differences?
1: look i think when when you're working in a in a really complex dynamic environment as we are there is it's important that we chart our course so we have clarity and understand what's important for the people and communities and we focus on those areas and look at how we align our work with that of other agencies and also respond as we need to to uh, important issues, so I mean the issue around um, facilities and beds, uh, we know that uh, you know there's no doubt that there are many inpatient facilities that need to be updated and upgraded, that they're not fit for purpose any longer. Um, and the safety and quality concerns, but we also know that investment needs to be made in other parts of the system. So into community and alternates and different models of care in the first instance. So, um, you know, there's a multitude of issues that sit in there and it's how do you, yeah, how do you keep a a view across all of those and and work out what are the most important areas to, to work on and yeah, just how you do that sort of sorting and prioritising and, th- and that's what we do um, constantly keeping track of what's happening but also thinking about what's really important to the people and communities the people that we're engaging with and we keep those issues front of mind
0: You're listening to The Locals on Free FM 89.0 and this is Karen's song pick Bill Withers Lean on Me
2: Sometimes in you
0: Welcome back. Here's part two of my conversation with Karen Osborne, the new CEO of New Zealand's Mental Health and Wellbeing Commission. The current government has said a lot about well-being and kindness. I think we even had the well-being budget. Do you think they've lived up to the ideals they've espoused?
1: We know the the government did respond to ha'a oranga and uh, prioritised some areas. And it made quite a significant investment through that wellbeing budget in in 2019. This is a really big, complex area. There's no doubt about that. And the um, big investment in access and choice, which was people being able to access more services more easily, but also a broader range of services, that's a four- or five-year program of work. So... um, uh, DHBs came on stream in different timeframes for that those new services, so not the services aren't being rolled out in all parts of the country yet. So, of course, for those people who aren't seeing new services in their regions, there is a sense of frustration. But we're also hearing some positive stories from people who are now able to access more in different services so there is a mixed picture across the country and I think that will always be the case we always have that level of variation across the country.
0: And why have some DHBs been slow with that uptake compared with others?
1: It was always planned that way so the uptake was always planned to be starting with a smaller number of DHBs and then adding another a number of DHBs each year so that's just about the speed with with which um, any organization can uh, roll a whole new program out so it's starting with a small number and then increasing that over time so that's just that was the way that it was planned.
0: Given that the Commission's role is to keep an eye on uh, this very complex situation and to advocate has the commission had to sound off any warnings or concerns so far much in the way that other commissions and commissioners do
1: so we were fortunate as a permanent commission to pick up the work of the initial commission and its report mata rongo aki and that was quite a substantive report that assessed progress with the response and um, drew forward the voices of people. So that report was released earlier this year. So that was the, a really substantive view of how things are going. And it, um, we'll also be releasing a report on, on that closer look at the Access and Choice program in the next few months. So that's, that's where we're focused on it at this point in time.
0: And turning to rural mental health, how does the Commission think we can improve things for rural communities like the Waipa?
1: Issues um, that impact on rural, rural communities that are the same as those that impact in many other parts of New Zealand. However, there's also some unique features for rural communities. And we know that it is more difficult for rural communities to access services and the fuller range of services that might be available in larger Um, more urban areas so we know there are some particular issues around access and we've also heard about issues with technology so um, you can't access services directly then you may be able to remotely and that's one of the areas that COVID has certainly led to us all being on Zoom and other technical platforms in a much more uh, frequent way However, for many of the rural communities, if you haven't got solid sort of tech tech sitting behind you, then it's really hard to access those other forms of services. We also know that rural communities are impacted um, in a variety of ways. And what's great to see is some of those rural communities really stepping up and looking at what can they do to support people in their own communities. So, I mean, there's been a number of uh, stories and examples of where those communities, particularly around farming, have really stepped up and said, well, how can we support farmers um, in, in times of, of stress and, and really help people through those challenges? So there are some particular issues. Um, I think there's also some some issues that are, are common to other parts of, of this country.
0: And we're recording this a few days after uh, the some of the nationwide farmers' protests, the howl of a protest. While a lot of that was around regulation, and anger towards the current government, it seems like uh, undercurrent of it all is that a lot of farmers are struggling. The stress is getting to them, The, the pressure is too much. When you're having these types of conversations with fed farmers and other parties, is that what they're feeding back to you as well?
1: Yes, they are feeding back. Um, concerns about people in their communities and our role is to advocate for those collective interests and look at us at a system level to how um how improvements can be made to the system so it is about how we have a, a collective approach so so that you know all of us every day can take small actions that will make a difference whether it's reaching out to somebody we know that might be struggling or in the work that we do. So it is how do we really focus on those important issues and, and collectively respond. So we know that a lot of the response is about local communities and local communities being able to reach out to get support or to understand what works in other communities. So a lot of those um, responses are at the local ground ground um, ground level when people in those communities understand the best what are the issues and what will also help um, in terms of supporting people through times of stress and distress
0: and when you're out in communities both rural or urban and you're having conversations with people or facilitating these types of chats and the feedback you're getting is that uh, people still desperately need help. That they are in one of these communities that hasn't received that that increase in support. Uh, what's What's the effect on you and the team? That 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 must be a lot on you. The the gravity of it all.
1: Yeah, we we do feel a strong sense of responsibility, as you would expect, we do for this really important work, and we've been really struck by all of our engagement where people talk to us about just how important this work is. I mean, it's mental health and wellbeing is something that affects all of us. And and all of us have friends or family members that have been impacted in different ways. So we certainly feel um, some of that weight of responsibility, a- absolutely, and also feel a strong sense of, um, when we're engaging and hearing those stories, that um, real desire to understand what we can do in terms of our role um, to make a difference. So what is it that we can bring to the to the system, to the table, to communities that will help affect that change that everybody really wants and needs?
0: You're obviously talking with a lot of different people and and receiving a, a lot of information. Is there enough support around you and your staff? I know we've talked about other people, but you you and the team matter too.
1: Mm, well thank you um yes we we do and we have a small team, so we have about twenty people and so we're building that team here here in Wellington. We have people who live in different parts of the country and and work with us and again, the use of technology has been a huge step forward in in us enabling us to have a wider reach in terms of people who work with us. Um, And we have a a really supportive uh, team environment. So the people who are doing a lot of that engagement, in particular those people, that we can wrap some support around those people and um, really think about uh, how we all keep ourselves um, safe and well. So we do have a, a real focus on that as a team.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to add, Karen?
1: What I'd like to add is an echo of a comment I made earlier, which is that all of us can do something every day to help make a difference, and it is that collective action. So how do we reach out to somebody if we think they're struggling or to do what we can within within our areas of influence and responsibility to contribute to better wellbeing for all of us. So that's that's probably, that would be my final comment.
0: Thanks Karen, as well as to Kate for organising this interview. It's understandable to be unhappy about the state of our mental health system because even as it slowly, slowly improves, uh, people are still left struggling and well dying. I don't think that Karen and the team will magically fix things, but I do see them becoming more and more of a force for change. If you're struggling with the quality of your mental health care, one of your options are the Ombudsman or the Health and Disabilities Commissioner. Um, they also do great work. And if you're in the Y Waikato and struggling with mental distress, I'd really recommend calling the CATS team. That's 800 Fifty, 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 And if you're a farmer here in the Waikato and things just aren't working and you need that hand the Rural Support Trust is available and the Waikato number for that is 0800 787 254 We'll be back same time next Monday with another conversation focusing on the YPA. but until next time thanks for listening. Cheers Haere Ra